Thank you for your prayers, brethren. Thank you for praying for your pastor. I hope that all of you will do that, that every bit of dross be burned out of his life and he be set on fire from heaven so that I can set you on fire from the same heaven by the grace of God. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. I hope you will also pray for those petitions that are in the bulletin, remembering the brothers that need to sell businesses, one of which stands before you. And that's, I just got to throw this in before I, I get going here. A man walked into the store four weeks ago. I haven't advertised, I haven't spent one minute, one cent, one anything. He walked in, he said he wants to buy my brother's store and my store. Amen. And where can he sign? Amen. And he meets with my brother on Tuesday. Now talk is cheap. It's cheaper than buying a store. But that a man would walk in and do that on his own doesn't surprise me. Right. Doesn't surprise me. It's just the Lord's one more little confirming indication that he is with us. Amen. And I'm thankful for that. But I hope that you'll pray that, and especially as I go through what I've got to do here in a few minutes, that I and some others can be freed from distractions, Amen. that we may attend upon the Lord. Right. Amen. 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 It's late and it's Sunday night, but I'll go as long as I can keep you awake comfortably. We turn in our Bibles to 2 Timothy. Lord, have mercy upon me. I struggle with the most difficult subject that there is to preach to thy people. My flesh hates it. Their flesh hates to hear it. Satan viciously hates this doctrine. O Lord, I pray for your Holy Spirit to bless the words that shall come from my lips, that they'll be to the profit of these saints, work in their hearts and my heart, and humble us underneath thy mighty hand, that we shall look up and say, O thy holiness, Father, look so sweet, We crave it and we desire it. Save us from the spots and flesh of this world. This we ask in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, who saved us for this purpose. Amen. Amen. What if I told you right now that after some thought this afternoon, I've changed my mind. I want to preach Bible prophecy to you tonight. Because I'd rather have a big church. And if we could have a big church where all those in the flesh and those in the spirit can somehow try to sing together and worship together, wouldn't that be exciting if we could have a big church? No. So why don't I just preach you some Bible prophecy? No. Where are we? What chapter did I turn you to? Second Timothy chapter 3. I'm going to preach you some Bible prophecy. Right. We don't want a big church unless the Lord wants to make us big with His Spirit. Amen. Then we'll be thankful. I want to tell you something, though. I, don't, I hope that some of you can appreciate to some degree this job this day. I have a creative mind. I can think of lots of entertaining subjects. This is what the Lord wants us to have. Right. Amen. Believe that with all your heart. I am not blowing smoke at you, 
but this is a hated subject. But I want to show you something from 2 Timothy chapter 3 that I hope will excite you. We have a few minutes to look at the opposition we shall face, how we apply this message this day, and what the cure is to live holy lives. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 1. To a minister, the Apostle Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes, This know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. You have been taught before that these perilous times are not the perilous times of the whole world. They are worried about everything economically. They are worried about everything politically. They are worried about everything domestically. They are worried about everything physically. None of those things are included in 2 Timothy 3. None of them. Not one. This, are, this is the perilous times, and we're about to have it described to us. These are the things to fear. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, underline it, unholy. Next verse. Without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, underline it, despisers of those that are good. Next verse. Traitors, heady, high-minded, underline it, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Next verse. Underline it. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women, laden with sins, led away with divers' lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Brethren, these verses do not describe the state of of natural men in the last days. These verses describe the state of Christianity in the last days. These are teachers. These are people having a form of godliness. We are not talking about those who didn't even get out of bed this morning to go to church. We are talking about those that went to church and have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. Now that word power, same word, same word as it's to be, as it was used in first Corinthians seven about a husband and a wife's bodies, rights or authority. They have a form of godliness, but they deny the rights and authority of the Lord God in their lives. And so they have a bunch of social entertainment and activities to keep everybody busy and happy, and church turns into a social club instead of humbling ourselves before the exalted God who sits on a high and holy throne. This is the opposition, and we live in these days. This is the state of Christianity in America today. Brethren, holiness is not preached anymore. It used to be preached a lot, especially in Baptist churches. Holiness is less than that ever demanded or commanded. Holiness is not something that's an option for those that want to be better Christians. Holiness is a commandment. Be ye holy, for I am holy. We live in a very carnal age, addicted, greedily addicted to the pleasures of the flesh. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, how the Lord would describe it. Ephesians chapter 4. Everyone in here who is sincere and honest knows that you have inside you a thing called the, old, the flesh and the old man that hates this sermon. Right. And if you can recognize the two different 
men within you, you can hear his voice. He does not like, I don't like preaching it. You don't like hearing it. But there's another voice I hope that the Holy Spirit has given fresh life to that loves to hear it. And is saying, I'm going to kill that other man. Because I want to live for Jesus Christ and I want to live a holy life. And that's the spirit that's preaching to you. That's the man that's preaching to you. And I hope the man that's listening. But listen to this description of that flesh in Ephesians 4.17. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. They're greedy for uncleanness. And that is the state of our nation. Now this isn't describing Christianity. This is describing the Gentile world in the days of Paul, but it hasn't changed, has it? It's the state of the Gentile world in America in the year 2000. Greedily pursuing uncleanness and have given themselves over unto lasciviousness. Given themselves over. Lascivious is their lasciviousness is their God. Any lust that they can fulfill, fulfill it. There is no shame, no question, no doubt, no fear. Just do it. That's the world we live in. And that we, if we're going to live in that world, its influence is going to attack us because we have a flesh that wants to live that way. And we have Satan who wants us to see them living that way and think that it must be the right way to live and the pleasant way to live. This is a hated subject because it is the very antithesis. That means the very opposite. In concept and in fact, the very opposite of the spirit. The flesh and this subject are at enmity with each other. They hate each other. They are at war with each other. This subject. You cannot dip into the Word of God and come up with with a subject that is more hated by the flesh than this one right here. To be holy like the Lord Jesus Christ. None. Because your flesh cannot stand it. Satan is going to viciously attack you and this church and us and me. I know. When you go home after a sermon like this or sometime this next week, If you feel in your soul a war going on of discouragement and I can't do it or I'm not sure if I'm really up to this kind of a struggle, if I'm really up to making this kind of a sacrifice to follow the Lord, don't wonder where that's coming from. Get excited that you're having that bout of being cast down, but don't lose to it. Jesus has overcome it. But Satan is out because do you know what he you know what his favorite person in the whole world is? A carnal Christian. If he can fill the churches of Jesus Christ with carnal Christians, he has been successful. They come together and they sing, My Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. But their hearts are given over to the flesh and lasciviousness. And Satan smiles, knowing that the Son of Man is angry and does not have churches that are serving him in holy lives. It is a warfare, brethren. Satan is out to destroy the churches of Jesus Christ. He casts a flood of water out to drown them. And he's going to come after you. Be sober. Be vigilant. Your adversary the devil walketh about seeking whom he may devour. I'm not trying to make this subject important. 
more than it already is in the Word of God. I'm telling you the facts of life right now. He is coming after you if this church is going to try to live a holy life. But I want to tell you something, and we can't ever talk about the devil without quickly reminding him and all of us, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Who's going to win this thing in the end anyway? And we might as well win it right now for the glory of God. Let's win it. But we're going to have some opposition. It's a hard subject, for it demands sacrifices, even from spots. We all like to keep our little spots of the world and the spots of the flesh. But even those we have to get rid of if we're going to be holy in a way that pleases the Lord. It'll destroy some of the habits that you're comfortable with and that you enjoy. You'll have to give up some of the things that you've been enjoying. That's what holiness is going to do. If you're going to practice it and live it, you are going to give up something in the way of thought, something in the way of hearing, seeing, doing, speaking, that you've been enjoying. You've got to give something up to be holy. And we don't like to give things up because we're selfish and we're proud and we don't want to humble us. That's why I keep praying and asking for the Lord to humble us under His mighty hand that we'll beg for holiness from Him and that He'll fill us with it. Look at 1 Peter chapter 4. Another reason that it's unpopular is because other people are going to think you're strange. 1 Peter chapter 4. If you're subject to peer pressure or you're afraid of what other people think about you, I don't even know if you're cut out to be a child of God. That's your flesh speaking anyway. The new man doesn't care. The new man wants to please the Lord Jesus Christ. But let's all agree tonight that we've got a congregation. Thank you, Lord, that we're not left desolate in the world. We can come together, and there are some other people that don't think we're weird. We're all weird together for the glory of God. Look at 1 Peter chapter 4. I'll start at verse 3. For the time past of our life, this is before these saints were converted, for the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness, Lust, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries, wherein they think it strange that ye run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you, who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead. Who are you afraid of? Those that are going to call you strange, or or he that's going to judge you, the quick and the dead? I hope we're concerned more about what the Lord thinks than what the crowds think. Who cares what the world thinks? Do you know where they're going? To an eternity in hell. Let them enjoy their lasciviousness. They're having their heaven now, what they think is heaven, and there's no happiness even in it. Let us remember that we're going to be called strange. Therefore, don't be surprised when it happens. And if you're not being called strange by anyone, what must you ask yourself? I must not be living a holy life. Because if you are, you will be called strange. This subject is hated, and it makes everyone uncomfortable who wants to be a compromiser. The flesh reasons with you. Now, I agree that the doctrine taught at that church is true, and they practice the King, they, they believe and read the King James Bible. But you can enjoy a little bit of the flesh, too. After all, you're a member of a church that holds the King James Bible, believes the doctrine of election and predestination, the sovereignty of God, eternal sonship of Jesus Christ, and holds the water baptism by immersion. You can have a little bit of the flesh, too. 
Can you have a little bit of the flesh too after this morning's sermon? None at all. Ye cannot serve the Lord. Isn't that what Joshua told the people? And I'm telling you, ye cannot serve the Lord, for he is an holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your trespasses and your iniquities. It's all or nothing. So if we shrink the congregation because we've got some compromisers here, at least we'll be better for it. What I meant when I started was I was just playing with your minds to make you think about why most ministers get up in the pulpit and don't preach on holiness because it shrinks their congregations. That was my point. They will please, they will preach to the flesh, and I know it can be done even when preaching the truth. Do you know how cold the handshake is and how cold the hug is? From a man, when a minister knows that he's in the flesh and he comes up and hugs him after a sermon and says that was a great sermon, you do not know the pain that that causes. I want to preach the holiness of God and loving Jesus Christ with your whole heart and your whole desire and have men come up and hug me and shake my hand after a sermon like that. Right. Then, I have, then I've got something in my heart they've got in their heart, and we are one. But to preach on prophecy and see a man get excited who never gets excited about the holiness of God, oh, there's more than question marks in your mind about such a man. There's exclamation points. Instead of repentance and sanctification being preached from pulpits, what's being preached from pulpits is conforming to the world. These churches adopt all the practices of the world to keep the crowds coming in, and the crowds coming in are in the flesh. There's no holiness taught. They modify everything. The music they modify because they've got to keep the flesh happy. The length of the service they modify. The physical activities for all the young people they modify. They modify everything. They water down the Word of God. They're partial in the Word of God. They have entertainers come in in order to keep those people in the flesh coming back. That's the, that is the aim of modern Christianity. But not us. Not us. A sermon on holiness is exactly opposite the liberal, lascivious, undisciplined Christianity of today. Christians have compromised so far. You and I have compromised so far that we can't imagine Bible holiness sometimes. We can't imagine how actually we can live every minute of every day in a holy way. But it can be done. Every act you do, everything you do, can be done in a holy way with a conscience and a mind and a heart toward the Lord in it. Everything you do, whether it's making a sandwich, making love with your wife, reading the Bible, taking out the trash, or anything else can be done in a holy way. Or it can be done in a profane way because you don't put it in its proper place and do it with the right priority and without doing it to the Lord. Esau was profane because he didn't value his birthright properly. And if we get ourselves mixed up in the things that we're doing in our life, we profane the Lord by getting our priorities out of order. Because when we get them out of order, we are profaning Him who's already established the order for us. And we are not putting Him where He belongs. He won't accept it. More on that in a minute. We've modified it so far. We've modified God to our weak standards. I can tell you that in Isaiah, not Isaiah, Psalm 50, in Psalm 50, here's what the Lord had to say. This is what happens. This is how the flesh reasons. 
Verse 18 of Psalm 50, When thou sawest a thief, then thou consentest with him, and hast been partaker with adulterers. Verse 19, Thou givest thy mouth to evil, and thy tongue frameth deceit. Thou sittest and speakest against thy brother. Thou slanderest thine own mother's son. These things hast thou done, and I kept silence. Thou thoughtest that I was altogether such an one as thyself. But I will reprove thee, and set them in order before thine eyes. Now consider this, ye that forget God, lest I tear you in pieces, and there be none to deliver. That's the holiness of God speaking. Sometimes he doesn't judge immediately. And we look out in the world and we see men getting away with being thieves, being adulterers, sitting and speaking against their brothers and so forth, and we think that it's okay. And God says, I was just being silent to see what you were going to do. And you thought that I was altogether one like yourself? I'm not. If you don't get it in order, I'm going to tear you in pieces. That is the holiness of God. We modify God to our weak standards. Because He doesn't judge us and crush us, we say, hey, I'm getting away with it. The Lord must not be too unhappy with me. Oh, yes, He is, because He's already declared it in the Word of God. He's just long-suffering, brethren. Long-suffering. Are you thankful that he's long-suffering? He's given us another opportunity. I think it's wonderful. Thank you, Lord, for your grace toward us. Don't you dare think because you haven't been judged and crushed that he's approving of your life. You measure your life by the Word of God, and I've described some of it so far to you to this day. I just don't think that I can go that far, someone says. Someone says, I believe in moderation in all things. You don't know what the word moderation means. Moderation, that place, means self-discipline. That's what we're talking about. So you do believe in it. That's just missing that whole verse. Let your moderation be known unto all men. That sounds like let everybody know that you're a compromiser and that you'll meet everybody in the world halfway. That isn't what that verse means. The word moderation in that verse does not have anything to do with compromise halfway or being moderate. It means being temperate, self-disciplined. Let your self-discipline be known unto all men. That's what the text is teaching. Don't, get, don't throw that one back at me. You sound like a Pentecostal preacher. You sound like some hellfire and brimstone preacher. You almost sound Amish. Who cares what I sound like? Right. You know, the Amish aren't altogether foolish in their undistracted lives. Right. Our educational and our entertainment forces are bent on destroying holiness. Any preaching like what you've heard so far today and what you're hearing right now is extreme. It's hateful. It's intolerant. It's not practical. It's divisive. That isn't, that isn't constructive. We shouldn't have preaching like that. That's just divisive and it creates problems and divisions among men. We all ought to come together and be unified. Sin, they say, is caused by your bad environment. Sin's just a poor choice. It's a minor thing. It's not something to get so worked up about. Do you find that when you read the Word of God? But that is what's being poured down our throats from the public educational system and the public entertainment system constantly. We laugh about sin. What are the sitcoms about? Are they laughing about truly funny things in life? Or are they creating mock situations of sin and laughing about them over and over and over and over and over? And America sits there and watches it. And we laugh at sin. We joke about sin. We mock sin. And we watch sin. 
Any condemnation like what I'm giving you this day is intolerant. It's fanatical. It's controlling. Yes, it's fanatical. Yes, it's intolerant. Yes, it's controlling. Thank you, Lord. Those are good terms. Let's, get, let's be controlled. Let's be fanatics. And let's be intolerant for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake. Amen. And they may try to kill us for it. Because we're intolerant. And don't laugh or think that I'm being melodramatic. We have a political machine that's getting into place that wants to stamp out anything that is not agreeable to their agenda and their thoughts. Look at what's happened to poor Bob Jones University this past week. Whether you agree with them on everything else or not, they tried to take a stand for the holiness of God. If God made a division, we're going to show that division in our university. It's a private place. They should have the right to do so. But look at the heat they've taken. I commend them for taking that heat. And, I'm, and I hope that God will bless them in that particular matter and defend them because they are trying to practice godly holiness instead of breaking down all the divisions that God intended for us to have. Do you know what? There's nothing sacred or holy anymore. Mm-hmm. Everything is profaned. Can you think of anything that the modern entertainment media will not profane? I mean, normal sex between a man and a woman? No, they've got to profane that with men and men, women and women. Child discipline, marriage, serving your boss well. Anything that you can think of, God, Bible preachers, pulpit thumpers. Anything they can pick on, they'll profane it. Everything. Everything is profaned today, which means nothing is treated holy or sacred anymore. My whole point in all of these words here at the beginning, this paragraph is for this purpose. When you walk out that door, when we say amen tonight, it is not an easy battle. And to go out there ignorant of how the, the assault that is going to come at you, you're foolish to go out there ignorantly. But at the same time, I want to say Jesus Christ is more than enough. And I'm not discouraged and I'm not frightened. I just want to tell you that it's going to be a conflict because the Lord made a choice. You would be born in the 1900s to live in the 2000s. Do you know who made that choice? The Lord God. And I don't believe he's made a choice that we cannot live up to. I don't think there's any temptation that society can throw at us that we can't endure for his namesake. He knew all that. Do you believe that? Amen. Our country, our city, the whole works, the, the Lord reigneth. We believe that. So we'll trust him. I hope you like Second Timothy chapter 3. I'm going to skip Jeremiah 29. I was going to go there and show you that there were false prophets and teachers and preachers and pastors since the beginning of time and how there's a whole chapter in the Bible written where the Lord blasts them with the words of His holiness. You've got to read Jeremiah 23, whole chapter. The Lord blasts those false preachers with the words of His holiness for having profaned His holy things. Okay. Are we going to live holy lives starting now? How spotted are you? How conformed are you? How separated are you? When I say how conformed are you, what Bible verse comes to mind? Do you have one? Romans 12, verse 2. Be not conformed to this world. When I say how separated are you, what's the Bible verse that we defend being separated? 2 Corinthians chapter 6, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Come out from among them, and be ye separate, and touch not the unclean thing. How spotted are you? What verse are we going to use? 
to our own souls and to Satan, to our families. James 1.27, pure religion is to be unspotted from the world. You got those three verses? Don't forget them. But now let's ask ourselves in the mirror of God's Word, how spotted are we? How spotted are you with the television you have in your houses? That television is not an instrument invented by, well, it may have been invented by men who had no agenda to promote, but it is used entirely by men with an agenda to promote. And the agenda to promote is to profane everything that God considers holy. Without qualification, I say that. It is one of the greatest sources of evil in the homes of Christians. A television. You turn that thing on and we have a powerful medium. Visual and audio combined in living color, as they say, to sell sin. They profane everything on that. On that television. How spotted are you? I want you so so scared in the fear of the Lord and so desirous of His blessings that when you turn that thing on the next time, you are fully conscious of this sermon. And I'm praying for God the Holy Ghost to bring you perfect memory of everything that I've said this day. Amen. Hate that thing. Hate what's on that television. Do not compromise. God doesn't. Right. Do not make excuses. Do not say it's only so bad. It's not that bad. There are some redeeming features. There are in the Roman Catholic Church. Should we join it? Nope. How spotted are we? How conformed are we? By letting that powerful medium into our homes. God didn't ask us to let it into our homes. God didn't say to be a balanced Christian. I hate that word, by the way. To be a balanced Christian, you ought to have a television in your home. He doesn't want balanced Christians. He wants extreme Christians. You say you sound like you're possessed. Yes, I am. Thank you, Lord. I am possessed by the Spirit of God, and I hate every false way. Look at my text about television. Psalm 101. Psalm 101. Not my text. It's the Lord's text. Can you imagine Enoch sitting down with you and watching television? Can you imagine the sweet psalmist of Israel sitting down and watching television with you? Can you imagine the Lord Jesus Christ sitting down and watching television with you? How spotted are you because of television? Okay? But I enjoy it. But it relaxes me. But it's pleasant. But it's exciting. But I see, I see things that I enjoy, and it's a nice relaxing thing to do when I get home from work. It's pleasant, passive entertainment. I'm going to tell you who's saying all those words. It's, it's very cut and dried. This is not a, it's not questionable. I can tell you who told you that. Your flesh makes those excuses. Your spirit would not speak that way. You say, how do you know? Because of everything I've shown you so far this day already. God is holy and cannot put up with any of the profaning they do on that television. You say, you say does that mean that we're going to have a service on Wednesday night where we're all going to bring our televisions and crush them with sledgehammers? No. Not yet. Wouldn't that be exciting? 
Wouldn't that be exciting? I got a big one. And I'd be more excited than you. Anybody want to buy one? Psalm 101, verse 3. Look at, look at this. This is a holy man writing on behalf of the holy God. I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. Touch not the unclean thing. Don't be spotted. There's something that wants to get a hold of you and cleave to you, stick to you, so that you carry it with you. And it comes through the eyes. That's what the verse says. Here's a holy man, and here's how he thinks, and here's how he speaks. And this is God giving us this verse. I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. When you walk into a theater of this world, there is no one behind those movies that has sat down and said, I want to find some good, innocent, virtuous entertainment for America's families. There are Satan-worshipping, flesh-addicted individuals in Hollywood that are being used as simple little puppets by Satan to ruin this nation. And Christians go in there and think they can do that, think they can go home and go to church on Sunday to a King James preaching pulpit and please the Lord. It cannot be done. It cannot be done. Someone will say, have you ever been to a movie yourself, Pastor? It cannot be done. Oh yeah, Braveheart was a great movie. Braveheart was a great movie. He profaned the whole purpose of living. Who gives a rip about our nations? How about the holy kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ? That's what we ought to be willing to die for. To die for a nation is quite a waste of a life. Unless your family is being threatened or your nation is being seriously threatened and you have to defend it. It's nothing glorious unless you are defending your family for the Lord's sake. Or you are called to do it. He profaned the authority that a father has over his daughter. He profaned religion by being married by a priest. He profaned marriage by violating the marriage of the princess of Wales. And the movie by that time had got you all wanting that. So I take the best movie that's come out in five years and I tell you that it's profane. Do you believe me or does your flesh right now trying to make excuses that it's still defendable? Give me the three hours with you to sit down and listen to the Messiah from beginning to end and follow through on your pages in your Bible and see who's better off at the end. And who who the Lord Jesus Christ will indwell with a fuller blessing of His Spirit in the moments following. Do you know how grieved the Spirit of God is sitting in there? Do you know how quenched the Spirit of God is? I am not discouraged. Repent is the solution. I have. Repent, be converted, and your sins will be washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ. And we can go forward and live holy lives. Are you spotted with television? Now I've got a list. I have a long list here. But you know what I think? I put that at the top of my list. You know why? Because I think it's one of the greatest evils that are in the homes of Americans today. And Christian homes. God save us from it. I've given you the first pass on that subject. I know that when the Apostle Paul preached in the book of Acts, they would bring their books and have a book burning. 
Whatever they had in their whatever they had in their lives that were idols that were to, that were keeping them from worshiping the Lord properly, they wanted to get rid of them when true conversion takes place. May God help us not to go home and turn that thing on unless we have a very good reason to do so and that we can do it in the honor of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the blessing of His Holy Spirit. Not much electricity will be wasted on televisions this week if we were to keep that. Amen. How about your friends? And brethren, I can't preach on friends tonight. You know that, don't you? I can't preach on friends, then preach on speech, then preach on thoughts. I've just got to mention some things. I mentioned television. I spent a few minutes on it. Psalm 101, verse 3 is pretty good. Oh, I've got to go on on television. Let's, go, let's back up. The thought of foolishness is sin. Proverbs 24 and verse 9. If you even think about foolishness, it's sin. And isn't that all what is on television? Foolishness either in a sitcom or foolishness in the way of outright profane sin. How about another verse? Romans 1.32 Who, knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death. That sounds like holiness, doesn't it to you? That they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Do you know what that's describing? People watching on a screen, other people commit sin and taking pleasure in it. You said it's such a pleasant way to relax when I get home from work. Put some headphones on and listen to the Messiah and read your Bible. That's pleasant too. You say, I just don't think it'd be very pleasant. I know who's saying that too. And brethren, I said it this morning and it's, it's key. When you're in the flesh or spotted by the flesh, and I describe to you walking by the Spirit and living in the Spirit, it does not look exciting and pleasant because the flesh will not let you see that glory of it. So by faith, you have to say, I repent, Lord, because your Bible says it. I am going to throw these idols away. And when you do that and choose holiness as your course of life, the joy and the pleasantness and the pleasure will come. Amen. You will ne- if you wait if you wait in the flesh and say this, I'm, I'm just going to wait here until I'm really convicted. Now I know what he was saying tonight, and he always gets worked up on whatever he's preaching about. And I know he was worked up today. I'm just going to wait until I feel that worked up, and then I'll get rid of my television or something. Do you know what? That day will never come until Jesus Christ meets you, and then it will come in one blinding second, Amen. and you will be ashamed. Because never in the flesh can you ever see what it's like to walk in the Spirit. Never. Do you know why I know that? Because the Word of God tells me that that we're supposed to live by faith and not by sight. And been there, done that. God forgive me. Who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. What friends are you keeping? Do your friends spot you? Do your friends promote holiness? You say, well, no, my friends don't promote holiness. Then what kind of friends are they? You say, you're being awfully selective. Come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord. Evil communications corrupt good manners. What about your speech? What happened when Isaiah saw the holiness of God? Woe is me. I am undone. He felt he was ruined and he was a holy prophet because of his mouth. He knew the things he had said and the things he had heard other people in his nation say. He was totally overwhelmed in a blinding second 
When you meet Jesus, you won't need this sermon. That's right. You won't need it. In one blinding second, you will see the holiness of God and all the dross and wood, hay, stubble, and pollution in your life will be burned away and you'll be ashamed and found naked if you do not repent at this preaching. That's right. Your speech. How careful are we about the things we say and when we laugh and how we laugh and what we say and how we say it and to whom we say it. I can't preach about speech, and that's the the limitations of this, but believe me, this is a foundational sermon only. I'll be back on the holiness of God. But what about your speech? What about your thoughts? The thought of foolishness is sin. If you even think about sin, if you even think about foolishness, it is sin. If you even fantasize about an ungodly thing, it is sin. And God wants your thoughts. And He will not accept you giving Him your body and giving Him your eyes and giving Him your mouth and you keep your thoughts. That's unacceptable. That is profaning the Lord your God. He wants your thoughts. You may not even fantasize about sin. And I'll tell you what happens. The flesh gets you down that path and then the flesh helps you create habits until you hear a sermon like this and you are just fighting and screaming and that flesh does not want to give in because it wants those habits because you have found them pleasant to your flesh. But by the love of God and by the fear of God and by the promises that He holds out and by His Spirit, repent and cast down all those thoughts and get rid of them confess them to the Lord God and acknowledge that they're sin in the name of Jesus Christ and turn from them and choose good thoughts. You can do that. If it's a long-established habit, it's going to be hard. I know your thoughts. No one else knows. I know about your thoughts and how you reason about them. They're your secret little domain. But they're not your secret domain. They are open and naked unto the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. He knows every one of your thoughts. If it's a thought of discontentment about your spouse, He knows it in intimate detail. If it's a fantasy about anyone else you know for some improper sexual relationship, He knows every detail of it. If it's your hatred for me, He knows every detail of it. If it's your hatred for another brother in here, He knows every detail of it. If it's a child that hates their parents, He knows every detail of it. And you're profaning the Lord your God. It is not your secret domain. It is so open to Him that it's a joke for you to call it such a thing. It's plain to Him. Your thoughts. What about laughter? I'm sick of laughter. I hate laughter. Do you know what the Bible says? Be sober. Be vigilant. Why should we be sober? Because life and holiness are serious subjects. When I say I hate laughter, I know that. Oh, I'll have to explain that, won't I? Oh, people are so weak. Why do I have to explain that? Laughter is the sound of a fool. They used to hire people to laugh. Now everyone laughs because everyone's a fool. You say the Lord laughs. Well, of course, the Lord laughs. How often? And he laughs about the right things. Some of you just think I'm twisted. And I like all these old photographs of the old relatives from a generation or two ago who stood there and looked sober. 
And so I'm twisted because I appreciate, respect, and understand that. I just want to tell you that everybody stood and took pictures that way just one or two generations ago. Let me tell you something about them. They were a whole lot less profane than our generation is. Bible verses I've given you this day. What about jokes? Let me tell you this one. Why don't you tell me something to help my soul? Amen. Why talk? Why joke? Right. Why? Why? And, and if you think it's funny, you you are so shallow and so weak intellectually. Give me something from the Word of God that we can truly rejoice about. Amen. Don't tell me a joke. And you know what most jokes involve? Did you hear about the one with Saint Peter and the Catholic and the Lutheran and the Jew at Saint Peter's Gate in heaven? And there we go, profaning holy... Isn't that... Am I, am I right? Don't a lot of jokes involve heaven and God and spiritual things? I wonder where that came from. Do you think it's the Lord just trying to give us the joy in the Holy Ghost? No. No. It's Satan giving us joy in the flesh. Right. What about your music? Music's a powerful medium. The music that you turn on, why are you turning it on And what effect will it have in your life? Don't tell me about it being neutral. It's either going to lead you toward holiness or it's going to lead you away from holiness. There isn't this, everybody wants, you know what everybody wants? If you've got green hair standing on end, 14 rings in various holes in your face, navel and other parts of your body, and you're jumping around and eating chicken hearts out of living chickens, and you're banging on all these electrical instruments to make all this noise. That's one extreme. And then Christian hymns is the other extreme, and everything else in between is fair game. Not going to preach on music tonight. I'm just going to ask you, music is either holy or it's not holy. Mm-hmm. And you know who, who is on my side and is going to help me get away with preaching so little? God the Holy Spirit because I'm totally trusting him like I've never trusted him before. Music is not neutral. Right. Lord, help me. As they turn it on, let their souls go dry when it's the music of the flesh, and let their souls be fat when it's the music that your spirit is blessed by. Amen. Covetousness. How much do you want things that you don't have? You're profaning the Lord because he gave you what you have. Pride. How much pride do you have in your soul? Thinking of yourself highly when you shouldn't. You're profaning the Lord. He hates pride. Someone will say, well, pride isn't that bad of a sin. I'll be preaching on the forgotten sins one of these days soon. I've got, listen, I could quit right now. I've got more sermons by the grace of God for this church for over a year. And they're, they're all just right down this line, just about. Amen. We'll throw in a few once in a while for the glory of God and to just back the pressure off, but not for long. Let's meet twice a week. Not for long. Pride. Someone will say, well, pride wasn't a, a sin that was judged with capital punishment in the Bible, was it? What happened to Satan for a little bit of Pride. He just didn't lose his physical life. He and all the angels of heaven that followed him lost an eternity of being with God and being the anointed cherub around God's throne. Pride is to be hated. And if you don't hate it, then you're profaning the Lord. 
How fleshly minded are you? Did you know that the Bible talks about those that are spiritually minded and those that are carnally minded, fleshly minded? Are you profaning the Lord by your mind being occupied with fleshly and carnal things? What about money? Is money important to you? God's already spoken about money. It's a very unimportant thing. And the love of money is the root of all evil. Well, if it's the root of all evil and God is holy and God hates all evil, then money must be a dangerous thing. Isn't the, or, or is that logic too convoluted? If, if the love of money is the root of all evil and holiness hates any evil, then God's holiness must really hate the love of money. You're not going to... Oh, what a joke. But our nation... Listen, our nation has sold the bill of goods. Pursue it. You get a job, boy, you want a promotion, you want a raise, you want to keep going on that fast track, or you are a loser. And your flesh just buys into that lie. The Lord doesn't care. I want to say something again. And having food and raiment, Amen. let us be there with content. Amen. You sound like a monk. Thank you. Wine. How do you use wine? Do you profane the Lord with it by taking something good that He created and drinking too much of it so that you lose your total rational control of your senses, that you can give Him honor and glory? Education. Do you put up the education of this world, all the, R, the triple three R's or whatever they have that they want you to learn, and you don't put God's holiness up where it belongs? Are you profaning the Lord by putting it too low because you're exalting all the education that isn't as important? Child training, authority, time, your use of time. Do you profane the Lord with your use of time by wasting it? Do you know it's a precious gift He's given to you? And He expects in holiness that you use it wisely and in a holy way. How about service preparation? Are you prepared for this service and the other services we have? Or have you profaned the Lord? That's why we don't observe Christmas. Do you know how we don't observe Christmas in this church? Because of the holiness of God. Amen. Take heed that you keep my commandments just as I've given them to you. Don't turn to the left hand nor to the right hand. Deuteronomy chapter 12, verses 29 through 32. Don't look at the pagan nations and think that you're going to adopt anything of theirs to serve me because I will not accept it. I am a holy God. That's why. Amen. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. This is the application of holiness. I've just went through a long list. Every single thing in your life should be judged by whether it is being done in a holy way to the glory of a holy God. And if not, you should cut it out. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 12, And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another, and toward all men, even as we do toward you. To the end, He may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness Amen. before God even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all His saints. Now that's a, that's a pretty strong description. To be established in holiness at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And do you know how you get there? See, I'm jumping from television. I'm jumping from your thoughts. I'm jumping to loving the brethren. You know, we've approached loving the brethren over the last year or two, as, and forever, as being very important because the Bible puts a lot of emphasis on it. But my point right now is, it is a very integral part of holiness. Amen. Because, follow, this is deep. If God is holy and you claim to love Him, 
then obviously his children should be loved also. And if loving God is a holy act by his saints, then loving his brother, which you've heard many, many times from 1 John, if any man love God, let him love his brother also. Loving the brethren is a holy act that can establish you in holiness. What have you done this last week to love your brethren? Not in word, but in deed and in truth. It's part of holiness. To live a holy life, we will be cutting off this part of our life, cutting off that part, and our life will be shrinking, but we fill it with the worship of God and the love of the brethren. You really want us to change our lives, don't you? Amen. There's more on that. Loving the brethren is a big part of holiness. I want to show you that everything is, it deals with the holiness of God. It's his, it's, his glory, it's his beautifying attribute, and he wants us to have it, but it includes our whole lives. When we compartmentalize holiness, I'm holy when I go to church. We've missed it. Holiness is everything. You can hold your wife in bed in the intimate marriage act and do it in holiness to the Lord. And if you don't, and if you let anything else creep in to replace that holy motive to the Lord, it becomes profaning of something good. Because if you don't give God the glory in a matter, you are profaning that thing. And I believe this. For those of you in the... I'm not speaking to anyone in the flesh. I believe this from the testimony of the Word of God. You do it God's way in holiness, you'll have the greatest pleasure you've ever had in your life. Amen. And I'm not picking on that to be... Um, I'm not wasn't vulgar in any sense whatsoever. I just want to tell you that the intimate acts of any, anything in your life right. should be done in a holy way. Women, you should be holy. Did you know 1 Timothy 2.15 tells you to be holy? Titus chapter 2 and verse 3 tells you to be holy? How is a woman holy? Well, a woman should mortify idleness because 1 Timothy 5 tells her not to be idle. A woman should put down pride because the Bible tells her to. She shouldn't debate with men. She shouldn't be a tattler. She shouldn't be a busybody. She shouldn't be given to folly and laughter because the Bible tells us all those things. Titus 2, verses 3 and 4, and 1 Timothy chapter 5. If a woman wants to be holy, those are the things she should put down and other things to be a holy woman. Holy women, the combination of that adjective and that noun only occurs one time in the Bible. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, where it describes women who are in subjection to their husbands with all fear and who have a meek and quiet spirit. So... What I'm trying to do is bring holiness to every area of your life so that you can't escape this. It's everything. Right. Women, if you are not a meek and a quiet woman, if you are not in subjection to your husband in all fear, you have profaned your creation. You are unholy. Because the appeal was in 1 Peter chapter 3, women act like the holy women of the Old Testament, who were in subjection to their husbands with all fear, even as Sarah, who called Abraham Lord. She was a holy woman. And to be a holy woman, you must be like her. Malachi chapter 2, we read it last Sunday night. Malachi 2, remember? They they were getting other wives to replace their Jewish wives, and it was called a profaning. Because they weren't being content, and they weren't in love 
with the wives God had given them. If you men do not love your wives, and if you are not content with them, and if you do not treat them in the way taught last Sunday night, you have profaned marriage. Because God, everyone in here, has a converted spouse. God gave you a sister to walk with you, to sleep with you, to live with you in the Lord. And if you don't treat her right, if you don't love her, cherish her, nourish her, honor her, and are content with her, and think her body is everything you need, you've profaned her. And you've profaned marriage, and you've profaned your covenant before the Lord. Holiness extends to everything. Whatsoever, therefore, whether, whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Right. And what is the glory of God? His holiness. Do it in a holy way is what that passage is talking about. Whatever you do, whether you're at work, whether you're at home, whether you're at play, do it to the glory of God. Do it in a holy way because that brings glory to God. If it's not holy, it doesn't and can't bring glory to God. Look at Haggai chapter 2. Brethren, I know what time it is. Look at Haggai chapter 2. It's a principle of God's Word. It's, it, the flesh will try to deceive you into thinking that if you're doing something zealously for the Lord, it makes up for the spots of the flesh. Yep, right. If you've got these certain areas in your life where you know you're being outwardly faithful, it will cover up these areas where you're compromising or you're still in love with the flesh. But look at this in the book of Haggai. Verse 11. Thus saith the Lord of hosts. Haggai 2, chapter, chapter 2, verse 11. Thus saith the Lord of hosts. Ask now the priest concerning the law, saying, If one bear holy flesh in the skirt of his garment, and with his skirt do touch bread, or pottage, or wine, or oil, or any meat, Shall it be holy? And the priest answered and said, No. Then said Haggai, If one that is unclean by a dead body touch any of these, shall it be unclean? And the priest answered and said, It shall be unclean. Do you follow what the Lord's doing right here? If a priest was carrying around something holy and bumped into ten different things, would that holy thing that was consecrated to the Lord make those other things holy? No. If the priest was unclean and bumped into ten things, would it make those ten things unclean? Yes. What is the Lord trying to teach us? You can't have these holy areas in your life and think that they're going to make the unclean areas holy. The unclean areas make the holy areas unclean. Therefore, we're defiled before the Lord. That's why when a Josiah would hear the word of God read, he'd tear his clothes. Because God gave him understanding that the nation was not living holy lives. And they'd have a covenant to seek the Lord with their whole heart. Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. You can't have... It doesn't work the other way around. You know, the, the Lord doesn't tell us to have all these friends of the unconverted because we may convert them. You know, that's not taught in the Bible. Because it says that unconverted friends are going to take us down, not us pull them up. You know what the great gain of life would be if we'd really get a hold of this? You want to say it now? The great gain of life. Godliness with contentment. He wanted to interrupt me this morning. 
Godliness with contentment is great gain. What is godliness? It's holiness. Being like God, being pleasing to God. That is great gain. If you're in the flesh and you hear me preaching right now, it sounds horrible. It sounds like a big loss. But do you know what the Bible says? Can you believe it by faith? If you don't believe it by the Spirit, yet that you're full of this understanding and you know that it's true, take it by faith. Godliness with contentment is great gain. If you can live a holy life and be content with what God's given you, that is success, period. This is the greatest threat to this church. The lack of holiness. This is what your father, your pastor thinks. We need holy fathers in this assembly that will hate sin themselves and teach their children. How do we get this? You need a true vision of God's holiness, and I tried to give it to you this morning. You need to read the word of God to see the Lord high and lifted up, sitting on his holy throne. And by his spirit. Now you can't read it in the flesh. And think about God being high and have it accomplish any good. Before you read and after you read and during reading, ask the Lord to let you see him. Right. He wants to be seen. Why did he create us? He wants us to see his perfections. Beg him to see a picture of his holiness. You need to understand the horrible state of the world. I've already read it to you from Ephesians chapter 4. God came to Jacob and said, I want you to come to Bethel and build an altar. We read this a couple of weeks ago. What didn't it surprise some of you? And Jacob had to turn to his family and say, put away your idols. We're going up to Bethel. Get clean and put on some new clothes. Are you ready to do that as fathers, as wives, as mothers, as husbands, as children? Are you ready to do that? Put away your idols. Get clean. Put on a new set of clothes. That's what Jacob had to do. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. That needs to be your prayer. As you're cutting these things off, ask the Lord to search you, try you, and find anything else there that needs to be cut off. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Electric lights are not just a blessing. Electric lights alter how we live. And I am not saying that we need to move somewhere where we don't have them. But they alter how we live. I want to read these verses to you. 1 Corinthians 7, beginning at verse 32. But I would have you without carefulness. He that is unmarried careth for the things that belong to the Lord that he may please the Lord. What kind of a life would you describe that as? A holy life. But he that is married careth for the things that are of the world, how he may please his wife. You can be a holy husband. There is difference also between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman careth for the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But she that is married careth for the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And this I speak for your own profit, not that I may cast a snare upon you, but for that which is comely, and that ye may attend upon the Lord without distraction. 
Those four verses are powerful and weighty and ought to influence the choices we make in our lives. I would have you to be without carefulness. We make choices of a second job, a part-time job, a hobby, extra hours at the job we're working at, a career that requires more in the way of responsibility and obligation. We're making choices all the time. We should make choices that put God first. I would have you to be without carefulness so that you, according to verse 35, can attend upon the Lord without distraction. Wherever we have a choice, you say, well, this is talking about marriage. I know. Doesn't that make the point very powerful? Because we know, is marriage good? Yeah. Does the Lord want us to be married? Amen. Yes. Did he say it's not good for the man to be alone? Right. Yes. Well, then why would he use marriage as the example of being careful? Because for the Corinthians, there was an exceptional case. But the point is still here. And the point is still valid. We make choices that bog our lives down with too much activity, too much responsibility that we don't have to have. And therefore we are hindered in our holy pursuit of Him. You don't need all. You don't need all that the world is telling you that you need. That's right. Philippians 4 would tell us whatsoever things are pure, honest, virtuous, good, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. That's got to be your choice. That's right. To think on those things. And you can make that choice. We're talking about the cure right now. You need a vision of God's holiness. You need to put away your idols and repent of your sins and ask the Lord to search you and try you. You need to reduce the care in your life so that you can pursue holiness as a lifetime passion, not as a little sideshow. Holiness should be our passion for living, to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. You're to put on the holy new man which he's given you. And brethren, don't be moved by a multitude to follow them into sin. Did you know there's a verse in the Bible, Exodus chapter 23 and verse 2, that says, don't follow a multitude to do evil? Let the whole world go after their lasciviousness and their profane way of life. Let this whole church go that way, but don't you. Don't follow a multitude to do evil. Because we justify it saying everyone's doing it. And they all seem to be getting away with it. Go read Psalm 73. Psalm 73, Asaph figured out that they weren't all getting away with it. The Lord's just waiting for the right moment. Avoid the appearance of evil. We're talking about the cure for a holy life. Listen, if you're avoiding the appearance of evil, I don't have to worry about you avoiding evil, do you? Or I don't, and you don't have to worry about it. If you're avoiding even the appearance of evil, you've avoided the evil. Romans 13, 14 says, Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Don't even go near a place where you could get in trouble, where you could be tempted. Don't go near that place. It's not worth it because you're pursuing holiness and that is a risk over there at taking you away from holiness. Make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Did you know the practical holiness that we've talked about all day today, and I'm, I'm coming to my conclusion right now, is available to you. God offers it to you. God commands it of you. Amen. He would say in James chapter 4 and verse 8, he'd make it this simple. This sounds so simple, and it is simple. If you really want to do it by the grace of God and submit yourself under his mighty hand, he says, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Amen. James 4, 8. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. There's too many double-minded Christians. We love the Lord on Sundays and love the flesh Monday through Saturday. We need to 
Cleanse our hands, sinners, speaking to all of us, and purify our hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. That's getting serious about these things. Then the Lord will give you joy in the morning. But for the night, we need to get serious and repent and be converted from these sins. We can walk in the light as God is in the light and have fellowship with Him. Everything that I pray for this church can be had if we will live holy lives. Everything I pray for myself and that I pray for you individually, and I am praying for each one of you that God, by His Spirit, will make you holy and that you'll love holiness. God can do things with this church, great things, and for our lives and for our families. But we cannot play. As Joshua would say, you cannot serve the Lord. You cannot be double-minded like this. For the Lord is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your trespasses and your iniquities. If this sermon hasn't given you any appreciation, any joy that this is being taught in this church, any conviction that you need to make some changes in your life, then you need to go home and repent and get a tape and start it all over again. Because this is God's call to you and to me for us to be holy. Be ye holy, for I am holy. Amen. Brethren, we're going to say amen. And I've already warned you, the combined forces of Satan, the world, and your flesh, which is the great conspiracy, is going to make an assault on your soul. I'll close the same way I did last week. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Amen. Amen. That's right.